Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Yeah, everybody's trying to kill each other. That's literally the way I'd explain it. Like, it sounds like it's Gladiator, and we're all just trying to murder each other. The referees have no idea what's going on. They're making their best guess. And then the entire time, you're like, I hate this. But later, the pool, the pool is going to be great. This is On the Fence with Monica Oksanen. With us today, we have 2016 Olympian from Team Canada and multiple-time Pan American Games medalist, Joseph Polisifakis. And you were telling me that you were a filthy rich? Yeah, I'm here in my uh, mansion, uh, just, you know, enjoying the fruits of my uh, labor of fencing uh, Olympic participation and Pan Am Game medals. So pretty much a good life when you're a fencer in terms of uh, money and fame and all that stuff. You know that, right? Yeah, so, so filthy rich on this end, too. My $300 <laughs> paycheck from the U.S. Olympic Committee. Just It's really doing a lot for me. That's how I bought the, my mansion, too. Yeah, buy one in every city I visit that I like. Just, you know, have a place, a little pied à terre, as they say in French, you know, just a place to crash. Mm, I think you mean like in Oklahoma, right? Because it can't be anywhere else. <laughs> Uh, you know, Oklahoma's nice. How is COVID treating you? In Canada, we had a little bit of a lockdown in, you know, in the early parts. Now it's what's closed is pretty much restaurants and, and, and that's pretty much it. Now you have schools are open, work's open and just, you know, you, you try to work from home. And, and other than that, um, sport is restricted, but we're as Olympic athletes, we're pretty much the only ones allowed to go to a gym right now. So it's kind of, uh, you, you know, it, it's tough for, for, for all of society, but we have, a, you know, at least some leeway for, uh, for athletes trying to train for the next Olympics. So it's pretty, it's not so bad. That's amazing because in America, it's not the same case. It's Oh, really? Yeah, we, we do have, I mean, we have restaurants that are open, um, but gyms are just open for regular people. Or for us, like sport was the last thing to start, but it's also different in America than it is obviously in Canada. Yeah, well, you guys, everything is everything's like state by state, and it's also like there's a lot of politics that seems to be involved with uh, every every measure that gets taken. It's like uh, the Democrat is the Republican, uh, you know, governor or mayor, and that seems to be how it's decided of how they're going to treat it from from the outside, at least. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, it seems more uh, more normal on you know in the states, but from from TV here, it seems to be very politically divided. No, you're spot on, and also you can actually. Uh... You know, people vote for elections, but you can also decide who wins. If you tweet out and you say, I won the election, <laughs> it means that you won the election. So that's really as it is. So I, I'm going to yeah. try, you know, if, if quali- Olympic qualifiers don't go my way, I'm just going to tweet that I won them and I'm, I'm qualified. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And if, and if it's not, it's just fraud if you don't get uh, if you don't get selected. So fraud and fake news. You know, that's there's always other options. I like the USA. You always have a lot of options when uh, when things don't work out. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's the land of the free. It's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you also start thinking in options, which is my segue. And I feel like it should be, I think we should tell people about this, our whole plan that we had. So for all my listeners, when I posted about something about Trump, Joe actually swiped up on my story about the election. And I was very worried about Trump winning. So I told him that I'm looking for a Canadian citizenship. And Joe so kindly offered his help. So we had a marriage pact in case... The election went a different way. Yeah, anytime. Uh, I have a lot of space in my mansion as well, so you could come with your uh, with your dog. Uh, it could be a very good uh, situation here. You know, anything I could do for fellow friends of mine uh, on, on the other side of the border, but I'm here for you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so before we even get into the whole episode, I think it's important to discuss how we even met each other. So I, from what I remember, is meeting you in at Pan American championships in el salvador is that accurate 
wow that's i didn't even remember that was the first time but yeah that's that's been a long time that was my first pan american championships mine too i think actually. that was was that like 10 years ago it was 2009 11 years ago but yeah it was also also my first too wow i actually have um that that was a crazy trip for me we went surfing there in in el salvador they have a really good surfing resort and uh, that's why I remember this so well. And I got into a surfing first time ever. I just took a, a surfboard and it was like red flags everywhere telling people to get out of the water. That was the first time I ever had a surfboard. And I said, oh, I'll just try it out. I was kind of stupid. And, you know, you saw people like yelling at you from like, get out, don't do it. And I was just like, oh, I'll just try a little, you know, just I wanted to surf. And I immediately a wave just came out of nowhere, a huge wave, knocked the surfboard so hard into my face that it cut my lips wide open. And I, I had to be taken to a military oh hospital uh, in El Salvador to get stitches because I had like, it was, it was cut up completely <laughs> and I was bleeding. And it was after my competition, but I had, I ended up going to this military hospital. They like, I didn't know what was going on. We got this military transport to bring us, uh, got stitched up and it was like the experience ever, but it makes a good story later. But during the time I was like, what an idiot, you know, and I haven't surfed since. That's crazy. I mean, normally people try, you know, very nice and easy. Even though I kind of know how to surf, I've surfed a few times. I was actually in LA and the waves were bananas and I almost died a few times. The wave would just throw me and I would spin around. The surfboard smacked me in the head. No, I didn't bust a lip, but that's a good way yeah. to start, you know? Just and Let's I, just start nice and heavy in El Salvador. Huge waves, why not? Honestly, like surfing looks really fun when you're good at it or when you maybe learn like small steps. But I, I was so traumatized by that experience. Uh, when I see people, you know, those like Laird Hamiltons or like, you know, big surfing guys just doing uh, crazy stuff. I don't understand how they do that. It, it's actually very impressive. But that's my memory of El Salvador pretty much. And, and uh, meeting you, meeting you and my surfing accent. Those were my two, uh, I guess, my two, uh, two greatest memories. So you're saying I was the positive and the surfing was the negative. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Yes. I'll take it. I'll I just, take it. That's it. I remember there was a lot of partying from Team USA. Yeah, Team Canada too after i came back from the hospital i was on i was on some kind of drugged induced party mode and <laughs> i didn't feel like i was just happy to be there it was like some you know euphoria so we we had uh, we had to find ways to, to have fun so it's funny because that actually kind of makes sense because i feel like from all the canadians you did the least speaking to me <laughs> i guess so. i couldn't speak I, literally I now that you're explaining this it all makes i sense. couldn't speak i could just drink and forget my trouble so that's that's pretty much what we were doing yeah yeah no literally like you were standing around drinking you weren't really talking to me i was like oh this guy hates yeah, i think i i think and I then there was like some other competition you came up and started talking to him i was like what wait why does he now not hate me he just randomly wouldn't speak to me at all yeah but now i, we're I was friends. going through some tough times in that trip that I, you know you weren't aware of but uh i'm, I'm sorry about that. i tried to make up for it in subsequent pan am championships and games and, and world championships oh, that's hilarious I did not expect that story, but so thank you. That made this episode yeah. so much better. Yeah. Well, how was how was your Salvador experience? Um, you didn't surf. No, we didn't surf. Now I kind of upset that I didn't surf there. We stayed in some secluded hotel where there was no other team was there with us. I remember the venue was horrible. Terrible, classic Panama. Like you know, a lot of places there. Sometimes we had stadiums in, in Pan Am championships that didn't even have you know windows uh, and it was like 38 degrees but that wasn't Salvador El Salvador was 
okay, but it wasn't that great of a, of a venue. No, for me, it was the worst one. I almost overheated. I remember fencing uh, Olya from your team. Yeah. And I almost overheated. And I remember they, they dragged me off the strip after I won and they shoved my feet in like in the cooler where we had water. It was that like I was in such bad shape. Were you in Colombia? A couple of years after that, no. Okay, that's no. what. No, Columbia, I, I didn't. I didn't make that. Columbia team. was uh, was the all time worst venue. People fainted. A lot of people from the USA actually fainted, and uh, it was it was literally like thirty nine degrees, no windows, and uh, on the uh, on the top and the ceiling, it was like those like aluminum foil. We were like baking like potato. You know, we've seen our share of different types of venues in South America, but that's what makes their charm. You know, uh, in those areas, like the the weather's always beautiful. At least that's always a good time. Yeah. So afterwards, it's great by the pool, but the actual competition yeah. it's too hot the refereeing is a little rough yeah everyone's yelling like so crazy it's yelling. like the most intense competition yeah. more like in terms of like intensity like just to feel like the aggressiveness yeah. and like the testosterone in the air like like the, the south american countries and the central american they're so fiery and like aggressive it's it's great yeah, everybody's trying to kill each other yeah. that's literally the way i'd explain it like it sounds like it's gladiator and we're all just trying to murder each other the referees have no idea what's going on they're making their best guess yeah and then the entire time you're like like I hate this, <laughs> but later the pool the pool is gonna be great. Yeah, but at least I'm rich doing it, right? Is that's that's what right. you tell you? Yes, that's we're, you at least I'm making a lot. Of I money. also hope you guys understand the amount of sarcasm. We're not <laughs> rich at all. We're very poor, so I hope you guys don't misunderstand. Uh, Nobody's living in a mansion. No, I, I, I don't have mansions uh, in Oklahoma or anywhere else. Actually. I mean, you you could potentially own one in Oklahoma. They're very cheap from what I d I spend sometimes on Zillow. If you did anything other than fencing, maybe, but fencing you you still can't. Even buy one in Oklahoma. Yeah, probably not. I don't think so. Maybe maybe you can buy a cornfield. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, maybe Iowa has some good stuff. All right, so maybe we should get to the topic of this yeah, episode. Yeah, sure. Let's maybe, go. maybe it's about time. So I don't know about you, but a question I get all of the time is, how did you get into fencing? And I used to never understand that until I guess I got older. But in school, everybody's always playing basketball, football, baseball, and I don't know, even in the United States, only 44 colleges have fencing, which is crazy. I didn't even realize that the statistic is that low. So it's definitely not very accessible. And there's some interesting stories. For example, I don't know if you ever heard Daryl Homer's story, but he was flipping through an encyclopedia or a dictionary and he found the word fencing and he read the definition of it and he told his mom that he wants to try it. Yeah, I've, I definitely heard that story. And it's funny because every how did you start fencing story is always very unique because like you said, it's not accessible. So for someone to actually go and do it, they have to either fall into it somehow and it's always a funny way or, you know, randomly, it, you know, find other, maybe sometimes with family is involved, but it's it's not something you've seen on TV much other than in movies and, you know, they could get, you know, they find it cool, but, you know, there's no lightsaber battles in fencing. You know, you could like Star Wars, but you don't go and start lightsaber battles in school after that in, in some kind of organized classroom. It wasn't accessible. So I think everyone has a funny story. Right. Just like, I mean, what child is also flipping through an encyclopedia these days? What's, yeah. What house even has an encyclopedia? I know my house does, and I don't understand why, because it's an American yeah. one, and we're, we all speak Polish. I can't even tell you the last time anybody touched our encyclopedia, but we have one. But I'm curious to hear how you started fencing. Yeah, so like you said, it's a question I always get asked, and it's, it's honestly... Uh, I didn't understand it either in the beginning and now because I saw the accessibility issues and people didn't really know it, it, it is interesting. So what happened with me was I, I went to a school in Montreal, which was, uh, it's like a private all boys French school. And, you know, obviously going along with that type of territory, fencing was a thing at the school. It was a national, you know, we had one of the best national team coaches for Sabre, which is a weapon uh, 
uh, I, I fell into. In case people are listening, there's three weapons, saber, epée, and foil. And they're like three different sports. And, and saber was the one that was offered at this. So even within fencing, which is not that well known, there's three different distinct pretty much sports within the sport, which makes it a little bit complicated to explain you know yeah, I, when you do fencing different. yeah it's like saying i'm doing squash or tennis kind of thing, almost like it, i mean it's the only thing that's the same is the strip we fence on the rest is completely different and sometimes people have a hard time you know they just always do oh you do that little poke you know sport thing or they always do that same movement i'm like no it's saber's completely different right so anyway the funny story about how i started was that it's a miracle that i made the team and it's the way the way i started is one of the reasons i'm still here today so i'll explain why i saw the people trying out for the fencing team when I got there on the first day uh, and it was actually the reason I tried to sign up to the school because during the open house they showed fencing and it was the first time I had seen it live and I was like man I want to sign up to the school so I did the entrance exam I got in and the first day of tryouts there were like 60 70 kids trying to do fencing it was it's like trying to make their on the basketball team or the hockey team because you know they're a good team and you know, if you make the team, well, then you start having opportunities to go to the USA for competitions, for NAC. Eventually, you know, you say, oh, we've created like a world championship caliber fencers. Uh, a lot of our fencers here went on to the worlds and you, you just dream of, you know, traveling and doing that with a sport. You know, if you do hockey or basketball, you're like, okay, I'll go around in other cities in Quebec or Montreal, right? Or outside of that, but I won't be going internationally, you know, eventually. So I was like, really? That's crazy. There's no hype in America to try fencing. Like there was a private school that I was trying and start a program in yeah and we had like eight kids and everybody wanted to do basketball football baseball like it's and i'm like you can yeah. be traveling the world and i'm like no no no. i just want to shoot a basketball so it's crazy that it was completely opposite here in the states that is in the canada yeah so i think i got lucky because i was like in the mecca like school of where that you was like cool to do it and so i think i just got lucky because probably another school people would be like what are you doing you know and i probably would have stopped because if there was no good enough coach or good enough team or fun people around me i would have never done it but so what happened is i tried I went to apply and uh, what happened was since there were so many kids the coach said all right well in order to whittle people down it's gonna be a two-week tryout process but on the first day the first tryout which was in the first week of school he said everyone is gonna run one mile outside before we do anything you guys are gonna run one mile and whoever doesn't complete the mile you're already off the team I don't I'm not even gonna show you the basics of fencing you're not gonna come to the second part of the training it's just gonna be over for you and I remember at the time I was I was a little chunkier I was I was more of a sort of I used to do some some kickboxing uh, and soccer and I was you know I was quick but I was not a like for me a mile was like an impossibly long distance I, I didn't run like I was doing little I was doing short sprints and i was i was a little bit chubbier so i was aggressive wait question in america you had to do for sure in high school i don't remember if it was before but we had to run a mile in order to pass our class you guys don't have the same thing in canada well because uh so at the time i was 12 years old Uh, i don't know when you guys do that but yeah starting from 12 they were making us do those mile things but i hadn't done it before that at 11 so it was my high school for us starts at 12 years old in montreal Okay. And our last year of elementary school is 11. So I was there and he said mile. So I was like, oh, mile. I, I'd never done that. So I was I was going to I was not going to do the mile at all. There was no way I was going to I was going to pass that mile. Even if someone was running with like a cookie in front of me, I, I would have not been able to finish that mile. <laughs> Good motivation. 
motivation. So I was in class all day just dreading. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to run. I'm going to collapse on the floor. And everyone's just going to be like laughing at me and it's going to be over. But I said, you know, I have to try it. So what happens is the time comes to, you know, it's the end of my class. The last class is finishing up and you have to go right away outside. But what happens in my class, it was math class and I hated math class. And I hated that I had to do miles like the wor- turning out to be the worst day. Oh so math class started uh, supposed to end at like four o'clock. But what happened is the teacher went over the time by 15 minutes because I don't know, the whole day was just, I, I can't remember why, but it just took longer. And I was out 15 minutes later and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, g- I'm missing the actual workout. I, I won't even be able to do the mile. I won't even be able to have a chance or he's going to make me run in front of everyone alone. And then everyone's just going to look at me fail real quickly. I start running outside, going, getting on my shorts, the t-shirt. I go outside. I see my, the coach who's doing the practice and people were finishing the mile by the time I got there. And I saw kids on the floor crying uh, who hadn't finished it. The other ones who are sweating, they're warmed up to go inside for the second part of the training. Whoever finished is like okay i'll show you i'll start showing you the basics in this first day of training and i go out and the coach is like sorry you're late for the mile you're cut immediately he's like you're not making the team and i said no listen sorry it was my math class i i couldn't uh, i couldn't get out I, I promise i'll give you a letter from the teacher he's like okay listen uh, i don't have time to make you do the mile now just come in for the second part of the training i'll do this thing and then i'll make you run the mile this week uh at another time i said okay whatever so i for me that was like an impossible situation i was like so happy i didn't have to run it at that time I was like, okay, he'll probably cut me during the week. Like, all right, got one day down. But I'm um, I'm okay right now. So I we go we went upstairs and I started doing the first training and so I sort of had you know some quickness and and just you know a good stance and I did have some talent from day one in terms of you know showing myself you know I looked like I had some some talent compared to others and he completely forgot during that week to to make me do the mile and I never ended up running that mile during I did the two weeks of training uh and and workouts uh, we went down from 65 kids to 20 and i made it i made the cut after two weeks in the top 20 kids and he never he made never made the mile he just forgot and i literally took that as a sign from heaven from god from whatever you want that this was a miracle i believed the miracles from that time i actually told myself i remember when i got the selection i said i'm never quitting this team until all the other 19 guys quit before me because i'm never gonna take this miracle for granted and i'm gonna go all the way until everyone else quits so i could show them that i, I deserve to be here kind of thing and that was actually a thought that kept coming back into my head over years when I was about to quit fencing for injuries, for not making a national team, for, you know, getting a little older and going, you know, towards the college days. And I was like, well, what am I doing here instead of partying all the time? I'm, I'm, when am I in the gym sweating, hitting each other on the head with swords? Or I have a torn meniscus, uh, torn, you know, herniated disc, uh, sprained ankles, bad knees, bad back. And why am I keeping doing to doing? This? And it was always that thought of like, until everybody just collapses around you, you're not stopping. And the last person from that cohort ended uh, 12 years later, which was Vince uh, Couturier, who you knew. He was he started on day one with me. So in 2012, 2013, he ended. Uh, I'm still here after that time, but I, I was I'm definitely the last man standing from that group and uh, still active. So uh, honestly, that that's that was really the way I started is also the reason why I'm still here today. That's crazy. That's like a full circle. Yeah, line. definitely. So, so question, can you actually run a mile nowadays or still? Yes. You know, I, I, I recently did it yesterday for the first time in 20 years. No, I'm, uh, I, I could do it now. I could do it. I don't know if, uh, if, if my coach is going to make me run it eventually just as a symbolic thing to say, like, let's try to do it. Maybe we should do that. He should make me run the mile and see if I could make it today. 
I think so. I mean, you skipped it then. I feel like it's something that you need to be doing to prove to And him. what's funny is that full circle is that he was my first ever coach. And, you know, he was at the time a national team coach as well. But he stopped for a lot of years. And he's actually come back in the past year as the national team coach. So right now I'm, I'm training under him again. And it had been many years that I hadn't, almost a decade. But does he know? Does he know the story? Yeah, I've done talks to because I've, I've been back to my high school to talk about my experience. And I brought... And you know he was there in the in the seats, and I told I told him about that story, and he knows the story. So I think he's not proud of himself for having forgotten about the mile, but he's he's kind of willing to overlook it this time. I mean, it was a blessing in disguise, right? No, exactly. I mean, so I, I owe everything to him otherwise. for his uh, lack of of good memory, maybe of making me do the mile at that time. <laughs> but but honestly, everything he taught me, I I learned from him too. So I I uh, I owe a lot to him. That's amazing! Wow, I love that story. I thought my story was cool until I just heard that one. I don't even I don't even know yours. It's not as long. It's not as exciting. My my whole family's from Poland. So I was living in Poland. I came back and I was in school in America and no sports really were calling my name. They did sign me up for gymnastics, which I loved. But as we know, I'm a giant and I was growing like a weed. And the teacher came up. She's like, well, your daughter really likes this sport, but she's too tall. Uh, I think I was already like at the age of like seven. I think I was already taller than the gymnasts on like any any Olympic team. And I was really upset because again, like no other sport ever called my name. I didn't go to school and be like, oh, I want to try basketball, soccer, whatever, like nothing. So I, I mean, I wasn't doing anything like physically. I was watching TV or whatever. So my mom was working at a Polish Slavic bank. And my first coach was Janusz Winnick, a Polish guy. And he, who actually, a whole bunch of people, like Oleg started with him, Doug Mara started with him, Caroline Floka started with him, Martina Vyachorek, like I'm sure all these names, like so many people. And he was like, you know, talking to my mom all the time at the bank that she was working at. He's like, you should bring your daughter in. It's a great scholarship opportunity. And that kind of won my mom over. And she's like, scholarship opportunity? Great. So she, I don't remember the conversation, but I know they brought me into practice and it was a whole group of kids and we did the basics of like footwork. We did a whole bunch of games and then like to test, you know, if I wanted to do it, they dressed me up in the whole suit. I have photos of it. And I was eight or eight and a half years old and they handed, put on the mask, you know, a little lamay. They gave me a sword and they said, go hit the other kid. And I remember just like looking at him and then looking at my mom. I was like, what? And he's like, hit them, like take your sword and just whack them on the head and again I was like this goes against everything that I've ever been taught like I'm not allowed to hit kids yeah that's that's exactly it as a kid you're like wait a minute I'm not gonna get punished for this like what's going on here? yeah I'm like am I are you speaking another language did I just go stupid but like okay and he's like go 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 and you're like okay and I just remember like taking little steps and just like going over and, like gently hitting them on the head and everyone starts clapping and I'm like good job and they like move me back to the on guard line they're like do it again what and I was like this is great like I just hit this kid they said I can keep doing it over and over again everyone's applauding me and as a kid that's what else do you want to do then and, yeah and, and get and like not get in trouble for it you're like what's the catch here yeah so I was sold a lifetime of hitting children I mean, now now I'm an adult hitting adults. So yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah, the, the, I graduated yeah. from the children hitting. The children grew up too, so you're both adults. So that's fine. So that was pretty much it. And I was sold from that point on. Uh, I did well in our first like two national tournaments. Though, again, I was just 
taller than everybody else. So all the other moms would come and question my mom. They're like, are you sure your daughter's 10 years old? And I was like, yes. Do you want me to bring the birth certificate? So yeah, that's kind of how I started. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you, but you guys in the, Pol- the Polish community there in, in, I don't know if it's New York or the States in general, a lot of them aren't, like, they have a lot of fencing routes and clubs, and a lot of your your top fencers were Polish, too, from the States, like, Polish origins, Yeah, right? so it, it's like, it's kind of like community. So, like, in New Jersey, actually, we have the most fencers, and just kind of all those Polish kids just know each other from Polish school. And again, we had that Polish coach, and he was amazing because he was able to instill this like fighting instinct, the statistics of having all these, all these little kids graduating up into these higher level of fencing. That's not something that's common from every other coach. Yeah, no, when you have one good coach, you could really bring up a whole crew around them and, and then create a good environment where everybody, you know, has, has a strong work ethic and that's makes like good teams. And it's about having a good system, a good coach. And, and that's, that's pretty much the secret, you know, and you push each other and then you make good results and then just keeps going from there. So uh, that's kind of what happened in our club with that coach, a lot of, you know, national team members and Olympic ended up coming from that club how many actual like saber clubs do you really have in canada oh in canada um i think uh, but like strong ones not like naming all of them you know what i mean but like ones that really put out strong- i think strong we'd probably have like five five but a lot of it gets concentrated in, in you know either montreal east or, or the west side of, of canada uh and people sort of coalesce around a couple of those big hub clubs for saber at least right then epi and foil is different there's, I, I don't even know but there's different right. parts of places same, like, same, yeah. same for the states but you guys i don't know how many saber clubs there must be I in mean, the states number wise definitely a lot because it's a huge country but i mean as you know as we've learned from the election land doesn't vote and that land no, doesn't have no people. it's true so it's obviously major cities yeah. for clubs that are really like huge contenders for like world cups and stuff we have three i guess in new york then we have atlanta and then we have oregon and then there's like a few like random people here and there but i would say like those are kind of the hub clubs that i'm aware of but i think uh, yeah and this i think in new york is probably definitely the the yeah. main hub for Saber, right? I mean, that's where most of the best yeah, basically. come from. And then kind of we just have like those those kids from New Jersey come over and come train with us, if anything. Yeah, so that's so it's good when you have a region. Like, if you have it so close together, you guys could like train with each other and get a team going. And usually that's how what, you know, creates yeah, a lot of success. I mean, you know, we've been doing well. You know, last time around we had that bronze medal. Who knows if we have another Olympics? Where yeah, we have another I medal. know. We'll see what happens. Is the whole team still intact? I have literally no idea what's happening. So I, as soon as I was stuck in Poland, we were going to fly to the world, to the training camp in Paris before our world cup in Belgium. because we had Belgium left and South Korea and then we were done with qualifiers. So I was actually in Poland about to fly to Paris when everything shut down. I know you guys were, you guys were also. I was in Germany uh, and we were about to go to Budapest. Uh, and that's another crazy story because so we were, we were doing a training camp in Germany. I still remember March 11th, it was like declared a pandemic around the world and Trump stopped all flights from Europe back to the States. Yeah, Wednesday. And we were in Germany, we we're like, oh man, what happens if we can't get back to Canada? You start panicking, like you don't know what's going to happen in two days, three days. And then we still had a, one of the last Olympic qualifying competitions in Budapest the next week. We were supposed to go there. And You had one left or two? Uh, we had one left. That's crazy. It's so weird how everybody in our sport is in completely different, like we're in the same weapon but you guys have one and we have two yeah it's weird so it's like the last competition but it's just been declared a pandemic we're in germany we're supposed to go to budapest which is having corona cases it was it was it was in budapest because it actually got canceled from italy the week before 
because Italy had coronavirus. So they were trying to shuffle it somewhere in Europe that was still not going crazy with coronavirus uh, cases. And then I was like, listen, I can't take a risk. If, if we get stuck here and then they cancel Budapest, then I'm stuck in Germany and, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to get back. I immediately, the next morning, go online, bought a ticket the same morning, March 11th, packed all our bags, left our Airbnb. I convinced my team we have to go back. If Budapest is still on, we'll take a flight back in a week and come back uh, if we can. But it's not worth risking our health, getting stuck in your, like in your, in your head. You're like, what if I'm stuck in Europe for a month when you, WHO comes out and calls it a worldwide pandemic? People, that could snowball into a lot of crazy things happening. So I was like, there's no way I want to stay in Europe for to see what's going to unfold the next week. So I immediately came back and it was a good decision because the, this, the day later, they canceled the Budapest World Cup and uh, we immediately went into lockdown. As, as soon as I got back into Montreal, to Quebec, our prime minister was saying we're closing everything. And if whoever came back, two-week quarantine and... Um, total lockdown so oh my god it was so crazy and for me i was the least amount like stressed out like, my teammate went into full panic mode she was already in paris she's like you need to book a flight home i know you're flying here today get home and i was like hey, i'm in poland i have friends i have family i'm fine and i'll assume and i was like i'll be able to get back and i had i booked a flight for sunday because belgium got canceled I booked a flight for Sunday. They they canceled that flight, moved it to Monday. And I was like, fine, it's whatever. And I was at my cousin's house uh, and like her her work got canceled. And then we were all hanging out at her apartment. And like, we, I think we were watching TV or someone told me that the prime minister in Poland closed the borders. There's no in or out. So I, and I don't smoke ever. I literally grabbed her pack of cigarettes. I went downstairs with a bottle of wine, a pack of cigarettes and a broken lighter. And I think I chain smoked like six cigarettes. Because I was like, I don't know how I'm getting home. We literally just closed the border in and out. I, like, there's no there's no flights, nothing. That Literally, they're like, canceled flights. So just like, literally just smoking cigarette after cigarette, calling home. It's also like 8 p.m., so I can't even like try to find a flight. And I'm literally like chain smoking, drinking wine. And like, they came, like, grabbed me upstairs. I'm like, you need to sit down and calm down. And I was, I think, uh, definitely a week and a half, if not two weeks, stuck in Poland where, again, it's not like I was really concerned because I, it's not like I had to worry about a place to stay there was like many different opportunities but it's still like you know when am i gonna be able to go back home and my dog pongo my was actually in my apartment in brooklyn with my roommate so that was like the biggest concern which like i called my mom i was like hey worst case scenario can you go pick him up you know i just don't want this poor dog by like you know with strangers for so long because i was already overseas for at that point like six weeks so i was going through different routes calling the embassy to get a flight back and then eventually the usoc booked me a flight from berlin so i would have had to take a 10-hour bus ride to berlin but borders were closed the question was would they even let me out of Poland into Germany and if they did would I get stuck in Germany I'd rather be stuck in Poland so should I go to Germany and then long story short lot airlines had like these like bring um, Polish people home to Poland and they were also sending flights over to America so I booked a flight and I got on it so that was just and again I came back and everything was locked down like all we had was were liquor stores and grocery stores yeah the essential services liquor stores yeah they had to be (laughs) that's been that's been they had to we know what happened when I got back here I was I was isolating at home and two days later I got a really bad fever and I I I started panicking like three days three no three days later I was fine for two days and I was like it's a two-week quarantine I'm like okay I'm doing good three days I started getting a huge fever out of nowhere and I started panicking I had it for two days and I got I went to get tested four days after coming back I I went I got tested came back negative I'm still sure to this day might have been that and by the time I got tested maybe it was out of my system because I got it was a couple days after I recovered oh yeah I I remember you told me about that that your whole story of going there and how many people and you're like if i didn't have covid before i definitely have it now yeah and at that point yeah so what you had to do is you had to call to get an appointment 
and it, they gave it to me like three days later. They said, come and do your test at like 7 p.m. So I thought it would be like very isolated. Everyone, you know, pretty much in their own little bubble. You go, you do your test, you get out, you know, very safe. And what ended up happening, we just came there and it was a lineup of hundreds of people who had gotten appointments at the same time. They were just trying to mass test people at this area. And it was in a hospital, but it was just everybody next to each other. You hear people coughing and I had a mask on. But I, I, at the time, I was just like, oh, no, I'm not I'm going to get. I, I didn't want to touch anything. I was just for like three hours. Hours. It took me three hours to get oh. tested, and I, I lost. I lost my shit after that. I was like, man, if I didn't have it, you know, coming here, and I, I came to a spot where everyone here thinks they have COVID, and they all just assembled us like cattle to try and get tested. I'm like, now we're just gonna all get it and bring it back to our, you know, communities if we didn't have it. So I was really not happy after that, and That's uh, crazy. you know, luckily I didn't have so anything. Crazy. Yeah, that was such a, such a wild time. And then I came back and I like after a week, my coach was texting me like he knew that I was stuck overseas. I was keep keeping him updated. And then he's like, well, we're going to start doing like classes over Zoom. I was like, this is stupid. Oh, wow. But like, okay. And I did that one class and in my apartment, I actually have a relatively big living room. So it was like enough for like double advanced retreat, advanced lunch, but it's so slippery. So I was, I almost killed myself doing footwork and like I was doing it super slowly and like I had to set up my mask on a chair and like there was three coaches to tell you if you're doing faint cut correctly. And I just remember going through this class and like, this is stupid. This is so stupid. Like, we're going to be stuck in this for months on end, and this is what I have to do for what? And I already at that point was convinced there's no Olympics. So, like, this is so stupid. And he, like, sat us down at the end and, like, gave us a pep talk, which I completely understand at the time, like, of, of keeping, you know, the spirit alive and all that stuff. But, like, I just knew I saw what was happening in Europe and how China was handling it. I was like, this we don't need to be pretending like we're not having an Olympics. Like there's literally no way. And he's like, you know, we could be here for a week. We could be here for a month. We could be here for a few months. And I remember I texted him after I was like, Hey, if I have to keep hitting a mask for the next three months, I'm actually going to jump out of my window because I can't yeah. imagine like, and we go from, I don't know about you, but Joe, I was qualifying for the Olympics. I was so ready. I was so prepared. I did everything I needed to be to, you know, to prepare. And all of a sudden they just ripped the rug out from underneath you. And they're like, hey, so this whole thing that you've been doing for the last four years, it's actually not happening. So we're going to reschedule it and you can figure it out. So I went through a state of depression because everything that I've been preparing for in the entire year was supposed to look like this. I don't know when it's going to happen. Did I just wasted almost four years of my life trying to go after this one big thing and it's not like we have multiple olympics really in us it's a sport that's really difficult on our joints it's not like we're 18 years old this could be our last one potentially and it was just really difficult because i don't know also people are like oh it yeah. gives you another year to train no a lot of people from the outside say that it's not we train that's in not cycles it. like the i don't know the italians have a heart like they they always bomb the olympic year and then the the year after the olympics they start winning everything and i mean i was ready like in our national competition in january i was murdering people you could have put anybody in front of me and i would have been win beating them and that's the mindset that I wanted. Now, the question is, can I get there again in this time frame? Can I get there again and be ready and have that same killer mindset and readiness for Mark? I'm going to treat this like it's vacation before the Olympics. And I'm just going to turn on when I have to turn on. So I don't know how it happened for you guys, but 
that was my yeah well i i still was shut down for a good like two months no no fencing at oh, all for us Nothing. more than that not even for us it was at least that and and i think even you know they're trying to do zoom but like physical activity stuff over zoom but we weren't doing fencing stuff over zoom we didn't have any of that and i remember at the time i was like man you know it's an extra year it's not you don't have to actually it's i had other plans i had planned after to you know with work uh, arrangements and same yeah career stuff so uh, honestly everything everything was was put on hold and you know a year of, of more of training well first of all you don't get an extra year of training because it's been a roller coaster for training it's right. opening closing opening closing you can't you don't really have all, all the access and like we're back here in november and a, a, i know a lot of athletes haven't been able to do any competitions anywhere even train properly so you're actually maybe even sometimes in worse shape than you were when you when you stopped when everything stopped because you didn't have time to really get out there and really sharpen yourself right so when march comes around now which is supposed to be the next for i think for the fi said that march is when the last qualifiers are going to happen for us people are going to be in all sorts of different states and readiness and uh, it's going to really play around because the last competition is so important for so many teams to qualify individuals people who are on a hot streak a year ago that's gone now like that's it's a whole reset Different countries are going through everything at different time like brazil like what a month ago or a few weeks ago got out of a full lockdown i think usa is currently heading into a full lockdown once again i mean england shut down everything austria shut yeah. down everything france so like, yeah france but it looks like the french team's still training but it also it also depends every country's kind of trying to keep things secret at the same time so you don't even know what's going on yeah i don't know what it's going to look like and the you know today i saw that uh, the ioc president uh, thomas back was in tokyo you know they're super confident they're going to be able to stage it and it's just nightmare because at the same time the decision for the olympics happening or not was made last what was it april i think where they said it's postponed because april or may yeah they have to do it several months before july it's not like they're gonna wait till june 15th and be like the olympics are on or not they have to do it months in advance because people like the the national sport organizers have to ship things by boat and the containers so the Olympics have to make a big call by March or April of this year, right. maximum, if things are going to go through, right? And if, if we're still in lockdowns at that time, they're going to have to make a really big call of like, you know, it's kind of going to be like a repeat of last year where we were at, you know? Now that they have the, the vaccine coming, maybe they're a little bit more confident that no matter what situation we're in in March or April, like we're going through with it and that they're going to have bubble a bubble set up. And, you know, that's what I've heard as... as measures uh it's going to be sort of like a sport bubble like an nhl or something like that for athletes in the village i mean yeah that makes sense but at the same time you know having the audience there is what makes all the money it's like not yeah. just we're not the athletes we're not really making them money like okay for tv time but it's everybody going to the restaurants everybody renting hotels yeah. everybody buying flights and all the buying tickets for the event but like not even that okay sure we're gonna have an olympics we only have 50% of the athletes qualified for the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. The The qualifying competitions are even more important than the Olympics right now because when are those going to happen? Under what conditions? Not every federation could create bubbles for their sports. Uh, how are we going to, you know, just us and Sabre. Yeah, well, what's going to happen is probably they're going to wait. Uh, you know, rapid testing is probably going to be a thing. You have to test yourself right before leaving when you get there. But, you know, think think of us. I mean, we're just, just men's Sabre. Uh, a typical World Cup has around 200 fencers from around 50 countries or 40 countries. 
just men's saber world cup right how are you gonna do that you have to also calculate uh referees and also exactly people running the event yeah hundreds hundreds of testing is only 80 percent effective yeah we saw that i saw from on twitter uh, elon musk was it created a huge controversy did you see that he did uh he did four rapid tests in the same day two came positive two came negative and then and everybody like lost their mind but but that's why i found out do you what kind of blood do you have what type i'm oh so am I. Do you know we're actually most likely... I'm safe. We're, we're mo- safe. Yeah, but we're, we're safe. Most, also most, <laughs> yeah, we're less this. likely to get COVID, but we're also most likely to test negative while having it. If oh, you have really? COVID as O type. That explains why I tested negative when I went after. Maybe that's it. No, seriously. Wow. I didn't know that. I, I thought you yeah. have less risk of getting severe complications if you have O type blood, but I didn't know about the testing. You're less likely to get COVID wow. with O type. And you're even less likely to have complications, but you're also most likely to test negative on a test. So, I mean, so who the heck knows, man? Who knows what? Exactly. Like, what... So, like, you're saying we're going to require rapid testing, but it's it's 80% accurate. And anybody with O-type blood is testing negative while possibly having it. Yeah, imagine that. What I thought they were going to do for fencing was that in March, they would create a huge bubble city for all weapons and uh, men's, women's in one city. And sort of do, like, a world championships type thing where, like, they get rid of all the qualifications find competitions in one city and uh get it over with I mean, in like a week. I mean that's not stupid but at the same time like there's some events that Women's Saber has too and doing back-to-back competitions is you're more likely to have injury. Yeah. It's also can't compete, yeah. have a come down and then compete again so quickly. If anything we could do our weekend on, weekend off, weekend on, which is still not ideal, but that's already yeah. a lot of time. Yeah, and you still have to be you'd have to wait there for 2 weeks, 2-3 two, exactly. weeks in Europe. Exactly. And I mean the USOC, they were trying to have a training camp for us in Colorado Springs where we would go out there and we would have to quarantine self-quarantine by ourselves in a room locked up for five days I would have lost my my mind and you know I just I mean I never I didn't understand the point considering we weren't supposed to have any single competition until February so why are we having a training camp in December but it was canceled it's five days of confinement on my email it says five days you you want they're testing us also but we have five days I think everybody's just figuring it all out. Nobody really has real answers. They're just like hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know, but you know the today, like I said, they were in Tokyo, right? The IOC president, and he met the prime minister, and they're they really want spectators, at least Japanese ones, because from what I what I understand, I think IOC, I think IOC makes money from the media broadcast. So they 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 wouldn't mind, I think, just putting it on TV if it was the IOC. But the host country gets screwed if there's no spectators, right? But but honestly, they they were uh, in in Japan. They were predicting it was going to be like the most you know, live viewed like uh, Olympics ever. Like I think the Japanese were just all over every sport, like the tickets had sold out and it, they were going to be packed everywhere. Now uh, I know they've been doing testing with certain baseball games where they have a couple thousand people watching in baseball and you know, they're, they're, they've been containing the, the coronavirus. It seems to be better than other places. So Japan's going to do everything to have the most possible people in their stadiums. Now, I don't know about international travelers, uh how that's gonna work but uh, i think there's gonna be a a lot of japanese in in the stadiums or that's what they're planning i mean who knows what's gonna happen by then though so interesting wow yeah i mean there's no right answer there's no real solution i mean it's just canceling the games at this point would be a huge huge blow to everybody uh it is but but at the same time i feel I, I just don't see how it's going to happen next summer. So I feel yeah, like it's almost I, I it almost makes more sense to just be like, you know what? 
Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're trying to be so optimistic, like it'll be uh, the humanity defeating the pandemic and a vision and a symbol of this and that. And it's kind of just like, guys, you were saying this exact same thing like last year before, right, before like two happened. weeks later, we canceled right. everything, right? So it's kind of like, we're kind of seeing through this, like trying to be overly optimistic again for so sponsors don't exactly. drop off and they resign and that's what they're doing, right? So sometimes it's just like, okay, let's take everything here with a grain of salt because every the, the IOC and everyone have to see it through these rosy glasses while everyone's locking down in Europe. You know, it's just, it came out as a little bit, I think, uh, a little bit controversial last year. And now it's it's a little bit more accepted because we think we, we see the end of the tunnel. So we'll see how that plays out. But I really think it's uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. And I'm, I'm, I'm really... Uh, I think first of all, also athletes, uh, you know, in the village, it's going to be a bubble. So you won't be able to to go out and experience Tokyo or, uh, you know, mingle with your family or, you know, your family probably won't show up now or your friends because uh, who knows, like uh, there's going to be bubbles everywhere. You know, your bubbles of your family, bubbles of athletes, they won't let you get out of the village. I'm pretty sure that won't happen. So it's going to be a different experience, even if the games happen for sure. But it's, uh, it's there's no easy answer. No, definitely not. And it's still like, difficult to even to even plan for anything because everything changes by the minute. And again, what you were saying, that yeah. like, it's like people on my, like I'm keep getting questions on like, anytime I put questions on like Instagram or if I'm going TikTok live, everyone's like, Oh, do you think of the Olympics are going to happen? And I'm like, honestly, I don't think so. That's where I'm at. And people are like, no, but there was an article that said the Olympics were happening. I was like, yeah, we were supposed to have an Olympics actually yeah. last year. Everybody's saying it's happening and it got canceled. <laughs> so I'm going to raise you a, yeah. It's a big fat lie. You don't know. We can't plan for anything. Exactly. Uh, you know. And in terms of like, obviously, even like the vaccine, like we're in, Olympians aren't going to be a priority. The priority is going to be older people. So how is that even help? It's, it's just a whole mess. Look, there's going to be a lot of Olympians and people that don't want to take the vaccine as the first. There's going to be, I think, a lot of people that are going to be hesitant to take it. They won't be able to yeah, vaccinate everybody. Like for sure. I don't want to grow a second head. But that's also why they're saying is that even if people don't have that, we can, like today they actually said, Thomas Bach said, we can't have uh, a prerequisite of everybody getting vaccinated before coming to the games. That can't be one of our, our prerequisites. So you have to accept that there's going to be a lot of people who are coming who just don't have the vaccine by then. So even if there's a vaccine out there, that's not going to save the Olympics, right? There has right. to be those other measures, uh, which are going to cost even more billions. I don't even want to know how much it's going to cost Japan right. or Tokyo. It's, it's, right. it's, that's what I'm it's saying. astronomical. Like, I feel like it kind of makes more sense financially for Tokyo to kind of be like, you know what? We changed our mind. I've also been seeing that is that there's been a little bit more because, you know, Tokyo and Japan, it's a very it's a society where they're very like, no, don't speak up against, you know, this social project. And everyone has to be like, you know, solidarity there. Right. But there's been a little bit more grumblings and surveys saying like, you know, like a a big majority of residents don't think the Olympics should go forward or, you know, some companies are speaking up a little bit more now, even though that's not, you know, that's very taboo. But uh, there's there's a little bit more because. You know, just someone who's living in Japan who's like, I'm going to have the whole world coming into my city now or into right, my town. I don't like, want uh, that. you know, from I, I don't want I don't want the USA coming or France or Canada right. or like there's so look at all the cases. USA have especially we have the most cases throughout the entire pandemic current. I don't want America going anywhere. America should be closed off in a bubble. There should be no flights in or out of America currently. And we should be dealing with it. But, you know, think about it. Last last year, the. You know, it's not just the winter months. I mean, we it started in March when it started closing down, and there are huge amount of cases in March, April, even May. Right. Uh, it, it's only like I guess maybe yeah, maybe June, July, August that it's sort of 
cool down a little bit but they had closed the schools by then and and all that so maybe it, it helped but uh, it was it's still raging in april and right. it's still there it's not like uh, as soon as march hits a little bit warmer weather and it's uh, disappears and like not at all right and other countries are in their winter right, at that like time brazil, that, that are brazil got yeah, hit a month exactly. ago exactly all of south america right. is going to be heading into winter time going to tokyo so australia like they're right there and it's a winter so <laughs> it's having the it's it's the worst possible event you could possibly have when there's a, a once in a century pandemic the worst event let's get every country in the world in one spot with thousands of people it's yeah. it's the worst one you during can think a of. pandemic or even the tail end of yeah life. yeah it's it's like there's just no worse event you could possibly <laughs> try to yeah, stage no kidding oh my god all right well while we've been on this depressing topic let's get on to some comedic relief oh, when is the last time you laughed very hard out loud yesterday like crying laughing or like laughing really hard I, it was it was laughing really hard not crying that would be a That'll be a while ago. I, I think it was reading something on... I, I actually, no, I, I laughed today. Conan O'Brien had a tweet that, I, that really made me laugh today out loud. Okay. For me, it was the other day, my sister was... She can't whistle, so she has come up with this sound. I can't really replicate it, so I'm not going to try. But it's it's not whistling. It's kind of just like... Almost like an owl, very, very fast. <laughs> and she, she was like, oh, I can whistle. And she started doing this. So I started crying hysterically. Oh, my God. That's so funny. All right, next one. Your three pet peeves. Traffic. Oh, what else? I hate traffic. I hate... What else do I hate? I stumped you. Oh, man. Uh, bad bad refereeing and saber oh, fencing. And... What else do I hate? Uh, I, I hate laundry. I hate laundry. I don't know if laundry can be a pet peeve, but... No? Really? Yeah, I guess not. Okay. I feel uh, like pet peeves are supposed to be things that people do, but... That's true, huh? I hate people who do laundry. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> I think you want people to do no, your yeah, laundry. No, yeah, I hate. Yeah, I just hate when I do laundry. You hate yourself doing because <laughs> yeah, because okay. I'm not good at it. Okay, for me, it's people chewing with their mouth open, slow walkers, oh. and people that act like they know everything. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a there's a lot of that on these days, huh? All right, and our last one. If you were a fruit, what fruit would you be? Uh, I'd be. And why? I'd definitely be a a banana. I like banana. Why a banana? <laughs> I like banana. Uh, because you know you have your you have a protection uh, on your outside. You don't you know you're kind of safe from the elements for a bit, and <laughs> you're sweet. You're nice, and people most people like you. <laughs> and yeah, I think banana is just like a cool cool fruit. People just like it. So you want to be a banana, <laughs> or you're describing yourself as a banana? Oh, well, <laughs> I, 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 I like the qualities that bananas and, represent and want, uh, in society. So yeah, okay. I think I'd oh my be god, a banana. The description. Thank you for that. Um, last time I, I laughed very out loud and cried is right now. That we had some right tears. Um, for me, I would be a cherry because. While I'm sweet, there's some oh. some tartness, some sarcasm. I like to keep it a little fun and exciting. Wow. You've thought of that one. And That's I stopped you. That's all that matters. I you hate, hate cherries. cherries. So you hate me? I guess so, yeah. Do you like bananas? I hate bananas now. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I really appreciate this, Joe. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. You also have your own podcast and you have your Instagram. Yeah. So if you want to tell my followers where to find you, that would be awesome. It's called The Olympian's Podium. Perfect. Do you have an Instagram that you want people to follow? My Instagram is J underscore Polo. You know, everyone calls me Polo as because obviously my name uh, gets a little long after the first four letters of the last name. Perfect. So you guys can go check them out over there. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having me on. It was a lot of fun.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.